Hello and welcome to the Monday Show on the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Arjun Musgrove, and today I'm joined by the Mirror Football's Simon Bird. We come to you a few days after Newcastle's 3-2 defeat to Manchester City at St James's Park. Let us know in the comments where you stand on the performance. Are you happy with what you saw, knowing that it was against one of the world's best sides? Or a little bit frustrated that yet again Newcastle's midfield gifted the opposition time and space to move? We'll talk about United's approach against City, the magic of Isaac, the aforementioned midfield issue, the loyalty of the players, and of course the transfer market. Hit like, hit subscribe, and please share the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Simon, thanks for popping into the studio. How are you keeping? My pleasure. All good, thank you. Grand, grand. It's a bit cold out there, isn't it? You come on your bike. I came on bike as usual, cycle yeah. for the match, etc. Uh, it's freezing. I even got through my gloves today, um, but I popped into the Granger Market for a little bit of lunch from Shakwala, the Indian street food place. Very nice. Yeah, it was good. Six quid. Lovely. Keeping it local. That's what we like. Very nice. Yeah. Grand, grand. Um, I think it's fair to say that we sit here wondering what could have been against Manchester City, and the very fact that we can say that suggests that despite the result, you know, it was a very positive performance. It was for, well, certainly the first half. I thought they were excellent first half. Really took the game to Man City. Quality goals. Uh, and you're playing, you've got to realise you're playing the best team in the world, best club side in the world there. So <clears throat> you kind of got to temper any criticism that you give and, and any doubts about Newcastle losing with that, that uh, caveat. Um, so first half, brilliant. Second half, I thought they were kind of com- looking sort of comfortable till about the hour, 70 minutes. And then obviously... De Bruyne came on and, and like he's a magician. He's a magician. Just changed the game, and he was the difference, really. Mm. And we will talk about the difference De Bruyne uh, makes because that's what everyone is talking about. But just sticking kind of with the positives for now and looking at the bigger picture, I suppose in many ways Saturday was the reminder of where Newcastle United are in this project. You know, they're right at the beginning of their journey. City are years ahead of them, and that was reaffirmed by. You know, the decisions that Pep Guardiola could make from his bench, I know Newcastle have got injuries, but even despite the, the, those missing, if they were available, you'd still be looking at that bench thinking, goodness me, City have got some players to bring on and change this game. Incredible. And there was even not on the bench, there was a list of like four or five decent, very good world-class players to, to come back into that squad. And that's why they challenge for they can challenge for every trophy they want to. They haven't got a, they can rest players, but bring players in of equal strength. And Newcastle are, I mean, basically squad-wise, Newcastle are nowhere near... Uh, that level now off the pitch. I mean, we heard we we touched on the finances um, last year, uh, last week with uh, the chief exec and the, the new accounts out, and their city's income is seven hundred and ten million pounds. Newcastle's is up up to two hundred and fifty, up forty percent in the last two years, but still, you know, like three times, almost three times less than Man City's income. So they are they're light years behind, and it's a building project. It's a ten year, ten year, you know, journey to to get where they want to be, really. And, and putting all that into consideration, the injuries, the finance, the options that City have and that Newcastle don't at the moment, the fact that really Newcastle will be feeling like they should have got at least a point from that game. Again, it's just another positive outlook on the fixture. Well, you do think, you do wonder when Newcastle seem to get close, but not close enough and not over that line, that crucial last you know, injury time goals, PSG, the most damaging. I think there's a stat round with one of our colleagues has written that they've conceded a quarter of their goals this season in the, uh, after 85 minutes, which is a staggering amount of, uh, of kind of collapsing at the end. And you wonder whether, I mean, I don't think it's character. I think it's, at the minute it's probably tiredness and the inability to swap up the, swap around the team. Um, but they do seem to, to get to good positions because they're still a very good team despite the form, Newcastle. Still a lot of promise in that team and a lot of positives. But 
they're just not getting over the line and they don't want to be a team that are a nearly a nearly team and what are you putting that down to i mean we mentioned there the fatigue the injuries but is it more than that because we are going to talk about all three man city goals and for me i think eddie howe I'm him. I'd be very upset at all all three goals because I think they could have Newcastle could have done better when it comes to uh, stopping them. Is it is there is there an element of, of, of a tactical error? You know that, that Eddie Howe's not changing when he needs to. He's not maybe you know shoring things up, i.e. for the point or, or when they are indeed in a winning position. I think there's there's definitely a tactical element to it, but I, I do think the major element is early in the season. Uh, Newcastle steamroller teams last season Newcastle steamroller teams and they told their front their energetic front three to go flat out for, for 60 minutes and then the, the other front three the subs would warm up and he would have massive options off the bench he could swap it round and so if you, if and they're coming on adding half an hour of their top level energy right at the end of games now at the, obviously we all know at the minute injuries have, have absolutely killed them this season for the last two or three months double figures injury list so I think the energy levels and the inability to bring kind of star quality or, or serious energy off the bench to, to, to press the way Newcastle do is the major element but I do think tactically Newcastle seem to have kind of one way there's no in between they go for it and they press teams and they squeeze team squeeze the life out of teams but then against Man City they did actually try and they did, did actually sit back so and also um, you know, I can't remember the game. Which game was it when they sat back and conceded late? It looked like a good, it looked like a way of playing against a very good team to bank up and soak up the pressure and maybe have a few breaks, fewer breaks than normally would. So I think they're trying to be a team that can consolidate, but it actually doesn't work. And there's a tactical reason behind that, which we'll probably talk about later, involving the midfield three. Who, who are springing forward altogether and then there's a space in behind. Um, and if you freeze frame the goals and the chances for City uh, on match of the day, which I did yesterday, you can see that happening repeatedly. And, mm. and Guardiola spotted it, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. And our, our listeners will be sick of me bringing it up, but it is something we're going to talk about in a moment. But it's interesting that you mentioned the, the the way the players are told to start the game, you know, high press, intensity. And anyhow, was asked about it in the press conference on Saturday and he talked about risk and reward and how it paid off in the first half. I'm just wondering, because, I mean, he's right, it paid off in the first half, but he's also then sitting there saying that on the back of a 3-2 defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does he have to change it up? I know we're talking about that he hasn't got the options, but people have said, well, do you bring Jamal Lascelles on and go five at the back, perhaps? Or do you even just have a word with either Bruno Miley or Longstaff and just say one of you guys just hang on to the back of Kevin De Bruyne and do not let him get a moment's space because inevitably when he does what happened on Saturday is exactly what he'll do well it's quite hard thinking and writing about Newcastle at the moment because there's a lot wrong but there's not a lot wrong and it's a hard balance to get when we're covering it and we're analysing it because they clearly are a very good team they clearly with their first team there with the energy can, can go toe-to-toe with Man City and steamroll at anyone they want on their day. But um, there's a lot wrong in that, you know, they're 13 behind, points behind after 21 games than they were last season. They've they've lost 10 games, which is nine games more than they'd lost it after 21 games. So there's a big, big dip happening. Um, and maybe it, it could be tactically being worked out. There's the injuries. Um, there's maybe a bit of complacency and, and a Newcastle thinking they're a top side when last, last last year the energy and the enthusiasm was to prove themselves and and be the be the the, the you know the disruptors in the league. So there's a there's, there's a lot right still, but there's also a lot going wrong. 
and that's the that's the dilemma about covering Newcastle at the minute. Um, I mean, I think we're all and journalists and fans who are showing remarkable patience. I mean, any other uh, manager who'd gone on a run like this, eight defeats in ten, in my history covering the club, twenty three years, would be getting absolute pelters at this stage and would be on the brink of of you know of going. I mean, the, the chairman would have been forced to act at this point. Eddie Howe's nowhere near that because fans are seeing this brilliant Newcastle side in flashes from last year, but then we're also seeing them collapse and, and concede 20 more goals at this stage in the league than they had yeah. last year. It's, it's remarkable. And I think it's important to get the balance as well because we can sit here and we can you know pinpoint the very valid excuses of the injuries, of you know the, the financial uh, power that Newcastle haven't got in the transfer market, the fact that they are tired. But we, then you can also analyse and, and criticise where it's warranted about that gap in the midfield about you know misplaced passes and you know mistakes by certain individuals and it's important that you know that those mistakes and those errors and the midfield issue isn't just painted over by the by the excuse of they've got injuries they're tired yeah I, I do agree it's like this kind of balance with amongst the fan base as well that it's perfectly acceptable and, and valid to debate the flaws in the squad because there are flaws and there are things that are going wrong and you can I mean, people are looking for understanding rather than blame at the moment. So that's that's a good thing for Eddie Howe and his staff. And there's a lot of patience around. And people talk about the loyalty of Newcastle fans in there. I think in the face of what's gone on in the last what ten defeats in fifteen games and kind of a long-term two three-month malaise there, they're, they're being really patient. And that just shows how well respected the players are and how well respected Eddie Howe still is amongst the fan base, despite the run. Now I think now we've got a crucial point coming up. We've got the Villa game which is going to be tough. Get a draw out of that, people will be happy. I think the expectation is to beat Fulham and progress in the Cup. And then after that, on paper, there's kind of a decent run through February and March where they've really got to got to put together a pretty good run. You say that because on paper there is, but I think we also have to remember that um, those three teams that you're alluding to there have all beaten Newcastle this season, yeah. Bournemouth, Forest and Luton. So yeah. not as easy as uh, we'd like it to be. And it is a big a, a big month or, or six weeks coming for Eddie Howe, um, starting with that FA Cup game, isn't it, against uh, Fulham. Would you say that he's playing, he's, he's managing for his job now? I mean, is this... Is this like a decisive period, you think, in Eddie Howe's reign? And if it doesn't go right, then the, the unknown quantity of the Saudis will be, will be looking at it? I do think um, if Newcastle go out with the Cup and then they um, have bad results against Luton and Forest and Bournemouth, I, th I think then the, the credit in the bank may start to quickly um, empty because where are Newcastle left then? I mean, they'll yeah. be looking down, not up. And yeah. Given everything that's happened, that's not where Newcastle and I want to be. But hopefully by then they'll have an addition through the door. Um, obviously we don't expect it to be many bodies, if, if any more than one added this month. And then hopefully they'll have players back, Joe Willick, Joe Linson, coming back through. So fingers crossed when they do come up against Luton and Forest and, and Bournemouth, they've got you know they've got players who can change the game, who can give them something extra when it gets to an hour when they most need it. Yeah, I think there will be a question mark if that if that run of games doesn't doesn't come off. I don't think they'll do anything this this year. I mean, I think it's not the season's not a write off yet because the cup's still there and they can still get seventh, sixth, seventh in the league and get into Europe, which has got to be their mission. Just get into Europe and still be amongst the European elite. Doesn't matter what competition is, but if the dip con if dip continues there will be big questions to answer mm. in, the, in the summer. I said a few weeks ago, I think once they start getting the players back, the likes of Joe Willick, Elliot Anson, etc., 
hopefully Callum Wilson can can get a few games under his belt. I think Newcastle have a really strong chance of finishing the season really strongly mm-hmm. because they're not playing week in week out. They're playing you know Saturday Saturday. They're not having that midweek game, and they could they could shoot up the league. I think Roberto Martinez mentioned it on Boxing Day after the Man United Villa game, and he, he tipped Newcastle to finish fourth because Didn't he really? felt without that extra pressure of, of Europe. <laughs> you never know. But um I do I am hope that's that's what I'm clinging on to. Mm-hmm. Um but we mentioned there that you know the issues um in midfield and that's what we're gonna come on to. And I know we talk about it we have been talking about it nearly every week for, for God and just knows how long. But I wanna just ask you first off Simon because it is the same issue that we have been talking about for what seemed an eternity. Why hasn't it been fixed yet? And I know they haven't got that traditional number six is it too simplistic to say they need to have a, a word with one of those midfield three and say, look, one of you has to sit back and be a little bit more disciplined, regardless of you playing against Manchester City or, or Luton. One of you have to, has to just offer that bit more of a defensive arm to help protect when we do get it on the counter. Well, it was, yeah, I think you're right. It was worrying that that gap in between the lines where, and we, we sat on the touchline in the press box and we, you could see Guardiola telling people not to go to the wings, but to actually go through the middle and to pick out Foden, who just sat in front of the, in front of the defence, not in the midfield, not, you know, not, not in midfield, but not in the defence, but just in that lovely space. And Guardiola was absolutely all the time battering his players to get the ball straight into that hole. And, if you, and like I said, I freeze-framing the, the goals and chances from the other day, there was always a City player lurking there. And when you've got Rodri, who's such a cool passer, and always going forward, that, that you can pick out that, that space. And that's the danger. Now, I mean, Newcastle's kind of success, it's a really difficult one because Newcastle's success is based on the timed press. So they all go together. So one goes to the ball, and then the next one goes to the person who might get the ball, and then there's another one squeezing the area where the ball might go in the second pass. And it's all got to be well-timed. Now, if you're a yard back on that, you just get picked off. So late in games, and they did look leggy. If you look at the, the, the last 15 minutes, Miley Longstaff, they weren't kind of in there. They were half in there. The ball could be played. So when it breaks down, it's it's a weakness. Uh, it must have been spotted. I mean, Eddie Howe watches these games two, three times back, not like for half an hour like we do. Um, it must have spotted it. So the, then there has to be a solution found, whether that's a new player or... Bruno being a bit more defensive, although he's not a great tackler. Bruno. He hasn't got the discipline, has he, though, no. to sit there? I mean, do you think, anyhow, in these games, he's relying on Newcastle being clinical when they go forward? And to be fair to Newcastle, obviously they've got the two goals, but there were chances where they could have had three, four, potentially. Mm. So that's maybe what Eddie Howe's relying on. The players, when they get the chances, is to put it in the back of the net. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and But the, 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 thing, the other thing with the stats, I mean, stats aren't, are sometimes a bit misleading, but... In the, in the league, they've scored 42 goals, and that's kind of skewed a little bit by the eight they got at Sheffield. Um, this, time, uh, in la- this time last year, they had 38 goals. So they've actually scored more goals in the league mm-hmm. this year, but it is, it's the conceding. It's, you know, they co- they'd only conceded 12 um, this time last year, and I think it's 32 now. So um, it is defend- they can still, there's still that attacking force, and that's why I think Newcastle fans don't lose patience. You can still see them um, having a go, and Isak creating chances, and... Bruno's forward passes. So there's still that bright spot of, God, Newcastle can still score and still do people damage. But it's just the other way. And somehow finding a balance of controlling a game without having to be 100 miles an hour and without being a team which is just passive and sitting back. They need to find, not be passive, but con- 
control the game without going 100 miles an hour to win it. And that's the kind of balance they must be searching for at the moment, I think. Mm. And we've got people watching live here. Stephen saying, why didn't Howtel Longstaff to sit on De Bruyne? It's a no-brainer. Um, what do you reckon to that? Because that is why I've seen a lot of people mention, we've talked about it just a little bit earlier in the show, but surely that had to be the instruction. When De Bruyne comes on, we know how good he is. And for both of the goals he was involved in, you've, you've got him for the first goal, Rodri just takes out all three midfielders with, with a nice little pass, but it's, it's nothing special. I mean, it's a good yeah, look, but, simple. you know. And then the second goal, you've actually got all, maybe you've got two of them sitting off De Bruyne as opposed to him being ahead of them. But the space he's got and then pick out the pass to Bob is, is, is far too much of a player yeah. of his quality. We know how good he is, but that's even more of the reason not to give him that time and space to do what he's good at. True, but I don't know if you do, if these days you do man marking jobs. I think you, you can to an extent, but, um, you know, De Bruyne was down the wing as well. He was, he's off, off down the wing, so he, that would have been pulling Longstaff all over the shop if you'd just given him the job of marking De Bruyne. Um, there was actually an interesting conversation right in front of us. De Bruyne was, was waiting to come on for about three and a half minutes, and, and Pep was giving him instructions. But then he said to him, What do you think? So De Bruyne then had, a, had his own debate about where the they were, they were discussing where the spaces were out wide in the hole. Um, so there was a, a good three and a half minute discussion about how to demol demolish Newcastle, and then it did happen. So it was interesting watching that. I mean, it's hard to keep a man of his quality, I guess, um, yeah. out of the game, isn't he? And I do fear um, that if, if he'd come on a little bit earlier, it might have been um, a bit easier for Manchester City. Um, the second goal, a wonderful pass from the Bruyne to Bob. Does Trippier need to do a little bit better? Or are you, again, just putting that down to just quality and then maybe a lack of legs? Well, I, I, set, I put a picture on Twitter yesterday of the moment that pass was kicked um, across, over, over Trippier's head to Bob. And, I mean, you look at the the scale of the pitch there and where he's playing the pass from and you just think there's no danger but he's put it on a sixpence and Bob's anticipated it so maybe Trippier could have been a little bit sharper off the mark on the turn when Bob was attacking him but I mean the shape was okay it was just an astoundingly good pass I think I mean not many if any player in the Premier League would be playing that kind of pass so precisely and also an unbelievable control and finish yeah footwork from Bob was, was fantastic but we do mention there um, that sort of pass we saw one um, for Newcastle's goal for um, it was Isaac's uh, finish an absolutely wonderful pass from Bruno Gomes. we've kind of done this back to front and away because yeah. obviously Newcastle scored the two goals before City got their second and third so let's talk about the two goals because a wonderful uh, reaction first first and foremost from Newcastle to going behind um, again which I thought I didn't think Newcastle defended that too well but Newcastle then go up the pitch get one back wonderful pass from Bruno that's what he does and that's why you know Newcastle United fans and Eddie Howe just love him so much yeah it really it sprung um, City's defence there was a bit of a weakness in City's defence in that and had Gvardiol on the left uh, as left back he wasn't he's not really a left back at all Ake was in the middle he probably would have been a better left back but that the way Shaw won it and then just delayed play gave it to Bruno and Bruno just opened it up with that one you know that totally accurate one touch pass just saw the, the game unfolding was, was magnificent and Isak, I do wonder if is there a better, more kind of complete um, centre forward in the league than Isak at the moment? I mean, I think 
he would get into virtually every team in the Premier League. He's that good. Four goals in the last four games. His, his goal-scoring record at Newcastle is really good, like 14 and 25. Or, it's, it, the, the stats are very good. So, And he's, got, he's mobile, he's tricky, he can dribble, he can finish, he's fast. So you, and there's a lot of teams in the league who haven't got a, a centre-forward like him. So Newcastle are so lucky. 56 million at first looked a bit expensive for him because he didn't quite hit the ground running. But now it looks like a, it looks like a fantastic deal. Yes, certainly does. He's he just kind of flows, doesn't he? Glides, but he's also got that bit of needle about him as well. It was a wonderful finish uh, to curl it into the top corner. But but just on Isaac, we know obviously in an ideal world you'd have Callum Wilson alternating with him. Callum Wilson coming off the bench with half an hour to go potentially, but he had to play um, again the full game against Manchester City. He looked absolutely dead on his feet with about 10, 15 minutes to yeah. go. And again, anyhow, doesn't have the change on the bench that he'd want to be able to make. He doesn't have the Callum Wilson or another striker to bring on. But I do wonder whether in that instance when he literally can offer absolutely nothing. And I don't know if you saw um, when he ran over um, to get an energy drink, just before that, Eddie Howe was, 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 was I'm not going to say berating him, but he was having quite firm words with him, just pointing him and telling him what to do yeah. because he literally couldn't, he couldn't he close couldn't, down and he yeah, couldn't go yeah, on to the next man. And I just think at that point, I know the only option attacking-wise you've got is either Matt Ritchie or Ben Parkinson. But do you not just throw on maybe Ben Parkinson for 10 minutes and say, right, we're not expecting to get much of the ball up top. Yeah, but you what you do is yeah. you run for your life every time that ball comes yeah. over. Because I question what good in Alexander Izak, who literally has nothing left in the tank, is for Newcastle United when they are chasing the ball. You know, when you need someone who can just run after it. Just throw the youngster on for ten minutes. Even for ten, just at ten minutes at the end, yeah. yeah when there's legs and there's closing down as needed, and just say, look, you're sprinting for ten minutes here. You're going to come off as not knackered, like if, as if you played ninety. Close them down because Isaac couldn't close them down. So he? Why doesn't anyhow do that? Is he? Does he not? Again, we don't want to say he doesn't trust the lad to do it, but what is the reason? Do you think Eddie Howe isn't looking to the bench and saying, okay, we will, we'll, we, you know, we'll make the change we don't want to make, but we need the legs. I think it is strange because I think it, you know, if anyhow put someone on like that who untried, untested, one of the kids for ten minutes, it would actually make a point as well. It would tell the country watching, look, I'm down to a twenty-year-old who's never played before, um, and all, all he wants to do, is, I need him to do, is run around and charge down and close down. Um, it is strange. I, I think maybe he could do that. Maybe he could look at his substitutions. I mean, Matt Ritchie's been used quite effectively in some games actually, um, showing up the left side, and, and you know, you're not Ritchie's keeps the ball, he moves it round. He's not going to do anything spectacular coming on the, in the last 20, but he will give you some legs and some, some energy there. So I think even those you know, those substitutions maybe could have been handled a bit better. Mm. And we've been saying that, I think, for, for, for quite a few weeks. Let us know in the comments what, what you think. Um, and then we've got the, the second goal for, for Newcastle, uh, Anthony Gordon, who had no right to put the ball in the back of the net from, from that kind of angle. He absolutely sells Kyle Walker as he goes inside and curls it in the top corner. Um, he is... Just looking like a man who, who you know, should be in that England squad come the summer. He should, and I saw pictures of Gareth Southgate was in the actually director's box, so he's now seen him. He's made the trip north and from Harrogate and done and done the scouting job on on Gordon. And Gordon will have impressed there because, you know, Kyle Walker is known, City's right back is known, England's best right back actually one on one, marking Mbappe in the Euros and the World Cup. Um, he's known to be brilliant as one on one defending, but but. Twice, Isaac and um, Gordon got the better of him one on one, which is pretty unusual. You usually get back Kyle Walker to be sharp enough to get a get a leg in and stop it, but Gordon Gordon turned him inside out. 
and it was an incredible finish. I mean, we were right behind it in the press box, and you, it was it was there. It was in before, as it left his foot. You just could see it going to curl around there. Superb. And he's really in form, isn't he, Gordon? He's he's right up there. We've got there's a load of options for England in that kind of area, but I think he's probably got a bit more experience than Cole Palmer, who's getting rave reviews for having nine goals for Chelsea, but five of them are uh, five of them are penalties. Mm-hmm. So we've got to stand up for Anthony Gordon and say he definitely deserves some kind of call up. Yeah, superb. And I was speaking to someone um, after the game and we were talking about transfers and, and in specific the transfer had just gone in the summer and about you know, what you need to do is you need to be bringing players in who can get straight into your first team as opposed to bringing in players who can build the squad and the reference to Harvey Barnes, Anthony Gordon. A bit back into actually, I think many people thought it would be Harvey Barnes starting ahead of Anthony Gordon before he got that injury. But Anthony Gordon stepped up and kept Barnes out of the the squad, and he's just gone on from there to prove to be an absolute fantastic player. And we've got to applaud it because obviously you know he wasn't welcomed by everyone when he first came, and then he ended up spat down at Brentford, mm-hmm. and he's just worked harder over the summer. And he's proven so crucial to Newcastle United. Yeah, he really set his stall out. I think we interviewed him around about May time last year after the spat with um, with Eddie Howe and the, you know when Matt Ritchie pulled him aside when they were with, was it Brentford wasn't it? it was the Brentford game when they won late on, and Ritchie pulled him aside and obviously had a word about what was expected and what you do and don't do at Newcastle, and he came out in May and said that he was going to use the summer when he was he was picked for England under twenty ones as quite a senior player in that squad, and he was going to use it to get fit to stay fit and come back the best he's ever been. And he, and he and you could see the look in his eyes, oh, well, if he means that, that's going to be good for Newcastle. And then add that to the challenge that Harvey Barnes has given him, and he's had to lift his game to stay in the team. And that shows the benefit of, I mean, we all thought, well, they've got two left wingers here, what, what's the point of that? But it has, the challenge has actually got the best out of Anthony Gordon. And I think when, you start, when they start building the squad in the next few transfer windows, hopefully, that's the kind of thing which raises people. So, some people might shrink, and not like the challenge and leave, but you know Gordon's really risen to it, and that's mm. what we need from Newcastle players. Yeah, it's been fantastic to see. He's spoken about looking forward to having a break now. The club are going to give the players a week off and to go and recuperate. Um, interesting already how did say he wanted a game as soon as possible. Obviously, next game comes Fulham what, on the twenty seventh. Um, do you think that the players? Um, I mean, they'll be desperate, won't they, to get away and just have oh, a bit of a bit, yeah. of a bit of a break? Yeah, they were, they were de- they are desperate. I think some of the staff want to get away as well and just have a have a switch off. Like it's not necessarily mental, although it, uh, sorry, not necessarily physical. Um, it's also mental. And um, Gordon, after the game, admitted for the first time. I mean, Eddie Howe's played down the tiredness and the injuries, but Gordon, Anthony Gordon, came out after the game and said. Yeah, we are really tired and we need to switch off. And I think that they're not doing any training. That most of them are going away on holiday, and they probably earned it because I think from from like July, when they were in in America in the preseason tour, they've, they've been flat out playing a game every other week. Uh, you know, two two games a game in midweek, a game in the weekend, and they need a four or five day switch off definitely. Mm. And there's no denying that at all. You know, they've, they've worked so hard, and then the injuries means they've worked harder than any. But he probably would have imagined. So they have earned, you know, those few days on the beach. But given the tactical issues that are so glaring, they then come back and they'll probably have what three, four days before that Fulham game. Is that long enough to fix the issues? I'm not. I'm not saying they shouldn't go away at all. But I'm. I'm also just playing devil's advocate and saying, well, actually, once they come back, do they have they left themselves long enough to to really get down to business when it comes to fixing the issues that's costing them points um, in, in in recent weeks? I think it is because you you come back and you know I, I know that the coaches want to you know let them go away and then come back and and maintain 
some positive energy around the place because it, you can get dragged down by losing constantly and you know having points snatched away from you. You get away and then you come back and attack it again. And that's the mentality. The, the, I mean, I actually don't see many people getting too too down and fed up around Newcastle's camp. I think they're actually, they know they're still good. They know they've had big challenges this season. And it's not, it doesn't feel like a club that's on the on the slide or or getting depressed about the situation. I think they're actually, they'll be, when they come back, it'll be full of energy to, to start putting it right again in a, in a very big run for the club. Very big three or four weeks. Yeah, fingers crossed and get re-energised and then hit the ground uh, running. Um, we're just going to go into the, the transfer market now. We mentioned earlier that we probably expect it to be one and that's about it. A loan deal um, low, looking most likely. Um, is Calvin Phillips the answer to Newcastle's midfield issues, Simon? Uh, well, he might be is he, if he's fully fit. I mean, he's, he'll, he would certainly help. But mm. we, we, I mean, he's, he's played 300 and... A stat that came up on the TV, 380 minutes. In yeah, the not a lot of football. It's like not a lot of football. So, and the way Newcastle played, you'd you know you'd, you'd want him up there. But if he comes on and he's a sub for the first few weeks, then that's that's a positive. And he is quality because he's he's got to prove himself all over again by being by getting a loan move and being and getting in the England squad. I mean, he's, he's, Gareth Southgate's been very loyal to him, and he, but he needs games, so he'll have lots to prove, which is a good thing ahead of a big summer. So yeah, I mean, whoever they can get, the needs, the need quality through the door. Um, and despite what they said last week, you really don't want any quality to go out of the door at this point. I know, you know, everyone's meant to be for sale in football. Um, if huge offers start coming in, then maybe they'll do it. But I don't think the money to prize Isaac away is there at Arsenal or anywhere else. So. What, oh, Bruno, oh, Bruno. what have you made of of House comments of late? Because I don't know about you, Friday's press conference, I was a little bit taken back about how kind of honest he was about the situation because I've not really ever heard him be so open you know he was talking about Dominic Solanke I, I love Dominic it's like well okay he's, he's never been that honest about a player before and then he referenced the fact that no one wants to loan uh, Newcastle any players I think he said we've got no friends in the market yeah, what, are, what are you making of his comments of late because it's a little bit of a different change in approach from him isn't it's it it's a real over the last week it's a real change in tack of Newcastle because I think we all assumed that the I mean this sell, of course they sell Liverpool have sold big players but we didn't think they'd be that open about it and it's a very strange change attack and kind of a almost a reset in the mentality because they've collected players and spent money 400 million over the last two two and a bit years and now it seems like well you know we're going to build another team we've built one team and now we've got to build another team and it, and every dynasty goes through this you know it's, every club needs refreshing every two or three years with new players coming in but that was a deliberate ploy by the club you know for the chief exec to come out and the chief financial officer to to admit that you know they've, they're gonna have to sell an asset the bigger asset they sell or the bigger profit they make from whoever they sell the better which kind of doesn't just mean Bruno and Isaac and Botman who are the three kind of crown jewels in the, in the squad it also means players who've cost nothing like academy graduates like Sean Longstaff I mean, we don't want any of these players to go because we love them. We talk to them and they're, they're great guys. But you sell Sean Longstaff for 40 million and then that's pure profit. It's 40 million that you've got. Mm. And we, we, we all, all heard the explanation. You, that 40 million goes in your pot. You can spend, you can buy another 40 million pound player, but it only costs you 10 if you amortize it over four years. Um, and then 10, and so you can buy two or three with that money that's come in immediately from, from Sean Longstaff. Uh, accounting wise it's all very complicated and very boring but it is it is quite crucial 
I, I was going to say you, you sat down mm. and went through those accounts with, with, with Darren Eels. Uh, what was that like? And what, what did you, I mean, you've, you've done plenty of, of articles on it on, over on the Mirror's website, but just tell our, our listeners here what, what, what you came with, what was the main point you came away with? Um, that uh, the, well, first of all, the positives are that the income has grown pretty much 40% in the, la- in the last two accounts. So 40% up and 40% up again. They've come from around about 160, 170 to 250 million in income, which is the crucial figure for Newcastle because they've got to get that, that money rolling in from sponsorship deals, uh, which is the way they can improve the club at stagnation under Mike Ashley for 10 years. And they're, they're chasing their tails, chasing their rivals. They're still a lower top six clubs, six, seventh in terms of the rankings there. So I came away thinking that's positive. If they can keep moving it along at 40% a year, um, rising incomes, the Champions League money, 37 million actually, not, not as much as we thought, um, will kick in in the next accounts next year. Also the seller deal and the Adidas deal. So there's more potential for growth in this year's accounts, which are just developing now, which won't be published till July or till this time next year. So I came away thinking that was positive and they've, they're kind of gradually turning the club commercially and it's looking good in those in those spheres, but also that the rebuilding of the squad and the financial fair play, profit and sustainability rules, PSR they call it, I think, in, in domestically, and that's a real problem for Newcastle. They're right up against it. You can lose 105 million over three years and they, are, and they are up against it now. So selling players and freeing up money to reinvest in a clever way is the way forward. So they've got to be good sellers as well as good buyers. Well, selling players creates a risk, of course, because you don't know what you're getting. You know what you're letting go, and they've fitted in quite well over the last two years. All the players have done a job. But, but it's, it's a risk when you start trading and buying because, you know, as we've seen with the Tenali deal, deals can go extremely badly wrong, and that one went very badly wrong. I suppose uh, people looking at it will say, well, you look at Declan Rice leaving West Ham, you look at Coutinho leaving Liverpool, you know, Clubs who are, uh, you know, doing really well now have, have have been down this road before, and it hurts when you have to sell your best players. But if you then reinvest it wisely, there's no reason why you can't go on to bigger and better things. Yeah, I mean, Coutinho and Suarez left Liverpool for huge money, and everyone was a bit, oh well, what, why have they done that? But they they sold at the peak, and they reinvested well. And I think the confidence that Newcastle showed in saying that they they'll sell and their players are for sale is. Be- they, must, they have got a recruitment team who aren't working to not buy anyone. Mm. They must have targets lined up in every position and pretty confident they're going to improve the team. They just need to somehow free money up to, re, to rejig and refresh the squad. And it sounds brutal that you know last year they finished fourth and, and everyone was on a high and those players were so well loved. The most loved players we've seen for, for 20 years on Tyneside after the cup final and fourth place. And to be talking just a few months later about selling them seems brutal. But that is kind of what football is about. It's about getting those deals right to improve your club. When you're sitting there in front of, of Darren Eels and he, he, he's relaying this message to you to then get out to you know, the public, to our listeners, to the readers, um, I mean, he knows exactly what the reaction is going to be on social media, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's prepared yeah. for how people are going to look at that and think, oh, goodness me, they're going to sell Bruno this month. Yeah. But that's not necessarily what is actually going to happen. No, no, I don't think they were saying, we're selling Bruno now, come and get him, or Isaac or Botman. But they were just saying, and it might, as I just explained before, that it might not be the big names who get sold. It's the it's the prof, the profitability of the sale which is key. Uh, so that's that's what they're working towards. It's a very confident message to put out there, and it also I think it also dampens down if Newcastle put out the message that we're well we've got to sell because you know we're quite up against profit and sustainability rules. 
that then clubs who are asking for a Newcastle premium because they think the Saudis are throwing money at it and there's unlimited riches behind Newcastle United. Well, there are unlimited riches behind Newcastle United, but they can't get it out on the pitch. They can't actually spend that money. So it sends a good message to um, clubs that are trying to sell to Newcastle as well. I guess uh, we go back to the bigger picture. You know, If you do have to sell one of your stars, at least under this current ownership, you know there's a, a long-term plan. You know it's not just going to be for money that then just disappears. It's going to be to reinvest and you will hopefully see you know, an outcome of, of, of a trophy or, or in a qualification for the Champions League. Whereas under the previous owner, if a big player was sold, you know, if you saw 10, 15% of that being reinvested, you, yeah. you, you, you were very surprised. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that's why there's so much calm and patience about the current run, is that I think people trust the chief exec, they trust Eddie Howe, they trust people behind the scenes to, to actually, that it's a long-term plan or a medium-term plan for success. It's not a, you know, flash in the pan, finish fourth and then disappear into mid-table, even though they are mid-table at the minute. This will be a sustained building of a club because that's what that's what the ownership wants. You know, they want to build it, they want to add value, they want to get better players, they want to improve the stadium and get more people in, which I think is absolutely the key decision. Another key decision they've got to get right, St James's Park or a new a new stadium. Um, so they are they're in it for the long haul, and that's the good thing. We can all look forward to not just thinking what's going to happen next season. It could could all implode. We can think, well, you know, in ten years' time, Newcastle surely, even in the Premier League, which is ultra competitive with. You know, ruthless rivals still going to be there knocking on the door yes fingers crossed and I guess as well that the fact they've got a long term plan they've got owners who are not um, quick to press the, the panic button is another reason why you know, Eddie Howe isn't going to be out the door anytime soon because you know he's got the credit in the bank he's got the um, valid excuses of, of the injuries and, and, and what have you and then, you know positive performance especially in the first half against City you know they are green shoots of recovery there yeah. you know so he's, he's you know th- there's reasons to believe that Eddie Howe will be here for a long time to come yeah well as you raise about long term plans and, and the money they put in there was an interesting stat in the, in the which came out of the meeting with Darren Eels is that they put in they've put in 127 million of extra equity so that's you know pure investment in the club which the, the salaries have put in 80% of that and the the other stakeholders, Rubens and Staveley, have had have, have kind of had to make put they put in their twenty percent somehow as well. So you know they've they've put a lot of money in, but they you know they, they want to get more money in from Saudi companies and other and Adidas and other companies as well. So that you know it's a long term plan and it's going somehow on the up, even if there's bumps in the road. Yeah, which there always will be. And we were talking there about what used to happen to Mike Ashley. I guess the fact that when you mention that you know. Newcastle selling players doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Bruno or Isaac. It could be, say, Sean Longstaff, and that's good for the profitability. Um, mm. But who else? And I guess it reaffirms the fact that there is no one else who comes through who you could look at as a sellable asset no. um, who's come through the academy, who's cost nothing to Newcastle to produce, but yet could be sold you know, for a lot of money that then is reinvested. No, um, but there's that raft of players. There's a, there's, a, there's a good chunk of maybe six, seven players who are out of contract. I think Lascelles is the one who, of that list who might get a new deal. Um, but then again, he might, he might not. So do you sell him in January and cash in? Um, so there's, all, there's a chunk of players who are going to be out of contract uh, and then you save their wages, which is almost like a player, a, player's wa- a big, big player's wages getting funded um, free in the summer. So that money's freed up. Uh, and who else do you sell? Yeah, it's a good question. Who else do you sell? Because you know, Newcastle haven't got that many um, amazing assets who've come through, and that's part of Steve Harper's job at the academy is to feed these kids, kids through. I mean, Oscar Bob coming through, you know, Norwegian's biggest kids, you know, youth star 
comes through and finally proves himself in the Premier League for Man City the other day. What's he worth now? Newcastle need to on the bench to have a few kids like that mm. in every in every department to come through and just build their experience and build value. Yeah, it's just a shame it can't happen uh, overnight, isn't it? Um, Graham says, um, what does he say? Uh, sorry, totally missed the question there. He says, on social over the weekend, a lot saying that the season is over. Do we write off the season or do either of you believe Europe is still possible? I think, like I say, once to get injuries back, hopefully in addition um, this this January, I do think, you know, whether it's just the Europa Conference, I, I do think there's a, a slim possibility that they can get some sort of European football for next season. Yeah, I'm just looking at the league table now. It's, I mean, it's totally not a write-off. I mean, if you look at Newcastle, 10th place, 29 points. Man U are in 7th with 32, so you're assuming 7th place gets Europe. So only three points... Three points off that, there, you know, another two points adrift of West Ham, so sort of like five points adrift of West Ham. West Ham and Villa have both got intense European football in midweeks to to come, so you know they've got to get ahead of Chelsea, Brighton, West Ham probably to get into Europe. It's not a write off at all. I mean, you can't say a, a season's a write off with like seventeen games to play out of <laughs> out of thirty eight. There's, there's still a chance to put a good run together, but I mean they've made it hard for themselves really. Um, if you look at that league table now, with there's a bit of a gap. I think, Europe, I think Champions League is out of the question. If you look at Tottenham, 40 points in fifth. That could get you in Champions League fifth place this year. Um, and 40 points for Arsenal in fourth. It's not a write-off. I think Champions League, you could say, is a write-off. Mm. But European football, finishing top seven, which I thought at the start of the year was par for the course, given the extra demands. Finishing top seven is still on. So there's still a, there's still a possibility that can finishing a par for the course, um, decent finish, which I think is top seven. And plus a cup run as well. Nice little a trip cup to run Wembley. would be great. I mean, that's just be really great, crucial. It? We need that. We go quarter final semis beyond, hopefully. Um, um, yeah. Just looking back at the transfer market then, I mean, do you think it will be a, a loan deal at best? You, you don't think they're going to spring any surprises in the next couple of weeks? Well, I think like, if they're going to get, it has to be a loan deal if they've got no money because... You, you, if Newcastle are going to buy quality and then buy to improve their squad, it needs to be 50, 70 million player. So they need to save their powder for the summer to get two or three 50, 60, 70 million pound players in, if possible. Then, you're really, then, you, then you've got game changes and you've got Tonali, Tonali coming back as well. So I wouldn't be, you wouldn't be panicking now and, and spending too much money unless you get a bargain deal coming up like Gordon was seen as last year. How important is it though to get European football looking ahead to the summer and what you can offer to to potential players coming in and to those who are here because you know there are players who want Champions League football. Bruno has made no secret about the fact he wants Champions League football. Like we said, it's unlikely Newcastle will get it this season. Um, I mean, how important is that? Or how damaging is it if if they don't manage to get Champions League football this season? I don't think it's damaging if they don't get in the Champions League. Apart from you're not going to get the 37 million which they got this year from from their group stage um, foray. Uh, the other European competitions raise much less money, um, but I think football-wise, it's where Newcastle need to be because they need to get used to having a squad, having an in-depth squad which isn't just playing out at the weekends. You need you need to be able to. You know, have players who are on the fringes who then you put into the European games, even if it's the, the conference, what's it called, the Conference Absolutely, League, yeah. you know, which is the lesser one, which West Ham won last year. If West Ham can win it, Newcastle can go into that cup and win it. So, and then get into Euro, automatic Europa League the year after. It's a, it's a, it's a, a way of 
playing week in, week out during the season, which is grinding people down. It ground people down this year, but it also is an opportunity to play people in your squad, to have a squad where you have a player for every other position and you trust them to win in Europe for you. Um, and I think it's the bare minimum that Newcastle really need to be in. We were talking um, about something else actually on social media and that links into the, this whole Champions League European uh, qualification. It's about the loyalty of the players to Newcastle United and not just Newcastle. I mean, this 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 is for all football clubs really, but a lot of people I've seen on social media saying, oh, you know, you don't have to worry. You know, Isaac, Joe Linton, they'll, they'll stay. You know, they're loyal to the club. Do you do you agree with that sentiment? Well, I think they're loyal to the club in the in the in in terms of when they're here, they will do their utmost. I think the. the They've signed characters who want to prove themselves and will give their all for Newcastle United when they're a Newcastle team. But if you look at... But let's be cynical about this because football is a harsh, cynical world. Um, you know, if a player is on 150 grand top earner at Newcastle, maybe a bit more for the, for the top guys, uh, and Man United come in for them, Man United are paying, are paying their big stars 300 grand a week. So footballers are going to go. It's a short career. They're going to go where the money is. They're not going to think... Newcastle have great fans. I love the city. It's a great place to play football, which it is. We all know that. It's brilliant. They're going to go, oh, well, I've got a five-year contract on the table for 300 grand a week instead of 180, whatever they get in Newcastle. So that's going to determine, you know, it's, it's harsh financial realities which will determine whether players move on. And there are also, we, we talked to someone senior um, last year as well, saying, you know, which players could move. There are there are teams, certain teams, which 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 players would love to play for like Bruno being Brazilian probably the lure of Real Madrid or Barcelona they might not have the money at the minute but um, the lure of playing in Spain and winning a league there is huge for a Brazilian and playing in the Champions League every week so there are certain teams which you'd think certain players wouldn't turn down beyond Newcastle so they are loyal in terms of the give it their, give it their all but if big money comes on the on the table for a pay rise for them, they're, they're going to go where the money is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you? I mean, if big I money mean, came for yeah. you, what would you double your salary? I think I'd, I think I'd, I think I'd so head, hop off to the Evening Standard or yeah. the Sun. Yeah, I mean, it's all about it? maybe maybe not the latter. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, just on someone else, it's obviously been linked with a move away. Um, Dan Ashworth. Now, hmm. Darren Eels was asked about wasn't he in the in the sit down you had. What's your, your gut telling you? What are you oh, hearing? Do you, do you think well, there's a chance he will end up going to Manchester United? Um, I think at this now, probably not. But it is an interesting one because would Dan Ashworth have more... If he went to Man United, would he have more money to spend? Would he have a little bit more control to do deals himself and, and sort the football operation out? Is it a bigger club with greater scope? At the minute, it is. You, know, you can't argue that Man United at the minute is a vastly bigger club with bigger potential than Newcastle. But whether, man, you can get him, I mean, I've read um, that somewhere that he's got a 12-month notice period. I mean, like, you know, you, you can't poach a sporting director and wait 12 months for him. It's, that's a, he's tie, he is tied in quite tightly to Newcastle. And I think when the money starts coming through, then the Newcastle job gets better for Dan Ashworth. And, and when he starts to, be, starts to be allowed to control 100% things, with a little bit of input from the owners, um, then it looks a more a more inviting prospect than Manu. And also, I mean, you know, Manu relaunching Manu, who won lots of trophies, or winning a couple of things and bossing that at Newcastle. I think even sporting director becomes a bit of a legend at Newcastle if they build a team in the next five years that can challenge for honours. 
I, I hope he stays. I think he's a, it's a, he's kind of a safe pair of hands. I mean, there's a question marks over the Tonali deal, obviously, and what they knew, but wh whether he could even have known, whether anyone, whether anyone could have known. So, um, but I think uh, my money would be on him probably staying. Um, you know, man, you looking elsewhere. Mm, I'll be thinking uh, music uh, to the ears of uh, listeners. And I'm, I'm going to finish off on some trivia, but just um, before I do that, just give our, our listeners a bit of an insight into Eddie Howe of late. Obviously, you were in the press conferences, you were there um, after the City game. He's been asked um, whether, I can't remember what game it was, whether it was his final act yeah. or whether it was before the Sunderland game. Um, you know, th there has been questions ab about his future in recent weeks. How is he handling that? Um, when he's talking to you guys at the press conferences, I think he's become a bit more relaxed handling those questions because he because I think the the extent of the bad run he knows that they've they've got to come and I mean we do and he's he's a very good judge of tone Eddie Howe I think when a couple of games when there was a blip last year and, and the tone had changed of, of our questioning in the press conference he spotted it and and he clearly didn't like it he wanted to shut it down as, as quick as possible possible I think they. It was a funny one, the, the question about, is this your last act? And it was one from a colleague who, who was trying to have a joke with him and actually slightly misworded his question. Didn't really want, to, want it to become across that brutal, but it actually got us the headline the next day. So, um, yeah, I think he's becoming a bit more relaxed, although he, he won't like it. He won't like those questions coming up, coming about it. He's probably do, he'll definitely be doing everything he can to, to sort it out and solve it. But those questions are going to get become harder and more kind of severe and if the run continues. And when he's saying, you know, I isolate myself from it, I'm not on social media, I don't read the papers, I don't read the news, don't listen to the radio, do you believe him? You know what, I, I kind of do. So Some managers <laughs> say that and I don't believe them because you know that they're, they're, they read the papers or you know what paper their wife reads and, and, <laughs> and how it all gets back to them because it's been mentioned to you. So I, don't, I actually don't think Eddie Howe probably does read does read the papers. I mean, I'm sure he gets a little briefing from from the press office or the comms director. But I think he is the kind of character who knows what he wants, has his ideas how to solve things, change things for the better, um, has a huge workload anyway, kind of watching matches and sorting issues out with players and uh, and running a club from the football side that he hasn't got time to sit there and unfortunately open his Daily Mirror and Evening Chronicle. <laughs> But yeah. maybe he does. I hope he does. Support local media, please, Eddie. Yeah. Um, but we are backing him on. We, 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 there is enough there. Get players back, like we say. Get an addition to the door. You're backing him to turn this around. Yeah, you back him because he's done such a great job over the last two years, and he's a, such a decent fella. You know, he, he's not like. And it was, we've spoken about this before on the podcast. He's not a big ego. He's not a swaggering around thinking he's the great man and just loving the position rather than, do, rather than doing the hard work. He's the kind of character who would shun the, the limelight and all the questions and that, but just love his coaching and, and do the job. That's, why, that's kind of why we like Eddie Howe because he's, he's, you know he's serious about his job and he's, and he's stuck into it and he's devoted to it. Uh, and I hope he stay and he's I hope he stays a long time and can bring success to the club because he's been brilliant rebuilding the club from relegation in the, two years ago when we were really scared about relegation to this point. Uh, and this this is a blip on the road and I hope he can sort it out. And also I think we were discussing this the other day with one of my friends that he's kind of lucky that there's not an obvious candidate football you know, attacking football wise around like there was for Liverpool when they got Klopp. There's no like shining light around Europe where you could say, oh, Newcastle should go and get him. There's not, there's not that candidate anymore uh, around there. So and he, he's probably also a little bit fortunate as well. 
let's look at this transfer window that they can't go out and spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million yeah. and, you know, and really back him in the window as much as we'd all like them to. And therefore, if you know the results maybe don't pick up in February, there's no one knocking on the door and saying, well, we're there, we've just given you a player yeah. worth 60 million this month and things haven't turned around. Yeah. So maybe you know the constraints on, on, on the pace, as much as it is a stumbling block that you don't want to get over, maybe it's also in one way, a, a, a good thing for him in terms of protecting him from the flack that maybe would come had they spent tens of millions of pounds. I think that that's right. I, I should have said this before, but I think um, the reason, the, the PR reasons behind them doing that thing last week with the accounts, um, part of it is a pressure reliever in that it's, it has just punctured the expectation and punctured the um, the desire to spend and build and be top four. It's kind of just given everyone a, a really subtle reality check. And that includes a pressure reliever on the manager who hasn't got the Saudi war chest behind him to, to, to build a club. And every, it just settles everyone. It makes everyone realise it's a kind of medium-term journey the club's on and just to stomach this, uh, this current blip. Well, fingers crossed he can turn it around. Right, it's now time for trivia. Let me just oh, no. get me pad. Now, you said, Simon, the last time you and you did quite well for life is a common what the question was, but I'll take your word yeah. at it. I think it was old players and 20 years ago, so it was kind of... Oh, was it a Champions League one, maybe? Might have been a Champions yeah, League. Yeah, I think yeah. you were there, weren't you? Right, so as you've mentioned there, league table, Newcastle, uh, 21 games played there, 10th on 29 points. We're going to do a bit of play your cards right, higher or lower. Okay. We're going to go back and start 2010 2011 season and we're going to go on from then Premier League seasons oh after 21 word. games I will give you the points um, I just want you to, to go higher or lower so we'll start 2010-11 okay. they were ninth at this stage 21 games played 28 points 2011-12 they had 36 points so higher or lower and you want to give a guess of where they were in the league so you want me to say where they were in the league yeah. with 36 points well you can go higher or lower and then if you're feeling, feeling like you know you can oh, give okay. a bit of a guess so higher than ninth yeah Although higher than ninth. Higher than ninth. Yeah, any, any feeling of where they were in the league? I think they were probably like sixth. Spot on. There you go. Right, 2012-13, they had 20 points. Oh, my word. Uh, that would put them lower. Yeah. I would I would guess fifth bottom. So would you say... What's fifth bottom? Fifteenth. 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 Fifteenth, 2012-13, after 21 points. Okay. You're doing a good job as Bruce Forsyth. Thank you very much. 2013-14, they had 33 points after 21 games. Oh, 33. So they're going to be higher. Yeah. And they're going to be around... Eighth place. Look at this. He's on a roll. Yeah, eighth place after 21 games. 2014-15, they had 27 points. Lower. Yeah. Obviously lower. And I think that would put them around about 10th. Unbelievable. <laughs> they were. They were 10th. 2015-16, yeah. they had 18 points. It's uh, a bit of a drop-off. They're lower. Yeah. Definitely going lower there. Is this the season they got relegated? It is. So I would say maybe they were, they were 18th at that point. They were 19th, 19th after 21 games. Second bomb. Second bomb. Uh, Who was in charge then? Was that would have been McLaren, yeah. wouldn't it? He got, did he lose? He should have been sacked after Bournemouth. And then, no, he should have been sacked after Chelsea, then got beat at Bournemouth, yeah. and then got the boot, didn't he? Maybe it was the other way around. 2017-18, back in the Premier League uh, with Rafa Benitez, they had 19 points. Did they? Only had 19? Yeah. So they, uh, would they be... Fourth bottom, so like a 20, 19, 17th? 16th. 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 2018, 2019, they had 18 points. 
Did they? Was it that miserable? It was that I've miserable. forgotten all yeah. these seasons because it was so much of a non-entity grind of irrelevance for us all. Um, 18 points. So they had 19 the season before. Yeah. And but they, I've got to say, higher or lower than nineteenth. They can't have been lower. No, high, than higher, higher, lower than sixteenth. So they were sixteenth oh, the year before. Sixteenth, right? Um, with eighteen points, they would be. Uh, they would be lower. They were higher. Fifteenth. Oh. Were they fifteenth? Fifteenth. Yeah, that that, that must have been a bad year of, of top winning Football. everything and bottom losing everything. Yeah. Two thousand nineteen twenty. They had twenty five points. Well, they're going to be higher. Yeah. And they're going to be round about. Twelfth. Uh, Thirteenth. 2020, 21, had 22 points. Lower. Yeah. And 14th. 16th. Ugh. 2021, 22, they had 14 points on the board. Oh, that's miserable. That's, um, who was in charge then? Eddie Howe. Was in charge oh, at Oh, of course he was, point. at that point, yeah. Um, so I think they'll be 19th at that point. Spot on. Yeah. And then last season, they had 42 points after 21 games, which left them... Um, Higher, and they were, th- at this point last year, well, that's lucky because I've just researched it for a piece <laughs> for the mirror. Oh, I better remember it now. I think they were third. They were third. Yeah, yeah. They were third, so there Excellent. you go. Thank you very much. That's it's good. amazing when you look back and you do forget that period that, after that the championship. That was a miserable period, promotion. wasn't it? Because there was a little bit of a revival there under Pardew, you know, finishing, you know, getting in the top six and top five in Europe. And then the, they were okay for a bit. It was 14. Who was in charge in 14? McLaren coming up. Oh, he would have been um, Car- Carvat saving on the last day of the yeah. season, didn't he? So it was all a bit average, wasn't it? Around it about was. mid-table, and then and then that dip around that dip sort of seven eight years ago with McLaren, and then oh, 19, 15 points after twenty one games. It's a miracle they didn't get relegated with that. That dip, wasn't it? That is a miracle. So maybe they did get relegated. What year was that? That's probably the year they did get relegated. It's probably the year. I mean, I've lost it now. We but it was it was miserable. And I think if you look at those years and how they've panned out, and then 2018-19 with 15th of 18 points, 2015-16 was the year they got relegated with right. 18 points mm-hmm. in 19th in the yeah. league. I mean, last year, 14 points. I'm uh, sorry, 20, 21-22 year when they had 14 points in 19th in the league. I mean, yeah. Maybe that maybe that's where we'll fit on a positive note. Just yeah. to think about think where the they progress. were: twenty twenty one, twenty two, nineteenth in the league, fourteen points, and here we are worried about them tenth uh, and, and 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 being unfortunate not to beat the best side in the world. Yeah, it does put a little bit of perspective on it, doesn't it? So the journey is the the general trend of the graph is definitely upwards, especially when you take in 2016, 17, 18, and the points of the total. Then so it's going, it's on the up, Andrew. It's it on is. The up. There we go. You started so well, tailed off towards the end. We'll give you probably a seven out of ten for that one. Hopefully next time you're on the show, you're doing a little bit better. Uh, thanks to Simon for popping on today. Everything is Black and White Podcast. Uh, please like and subscribe through whichever platform you're joining us on. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle night news. And for myself and Simon, we'll see you guys very soon. Mm-hmm.